You like movies about gladiators? Those men wanted to have sex with me! Great Scott! Nice Bieber. Oh, Cinderella boy. Rambo is a pussy. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And welcome to Retro Ramble. As you might have guessed it, we are brothers. Movie-loving brothers. Who grew up on a healthy diet of films and who enjoy rambling about it. In this podcast, we take a look back at the films we remember most fondly. What makes them special? Do they still hold up? Or have they dated horribly? And how do they compare to today's blockbusters? Each episode will have a retro focus, but from time to time, naturally, we will talk about the films that are coming out at the moment and what's on TV. Yeah, our aim is to, well, to try and get you inspired in these films, to maybe revisit them again, to keep you entertained with our stories of what it was like watching them the first time. And as well as the movies themselves, we're also going to take a bit more of a microscopic look into what make these films possible, the production challenges they faced, other movie actors who were considered for the roles. But we're going to touch on some more contemporary things. Series were streaming, games were playing, and books that might have influenced the films that we cover. This month, we are going to be reviewing, a, well, it's going to be a Gremlin special. It's not just one film, it is both Gremlins 1 and Gremlins 2. The new batch. The new batch. Double the value. The same director on both films, but he even he prefers the sequel. So, interesting. Uh, before we delve into that, a quick word from George on some general housekeeping about this episode. So we are movie fans, we're not journalists. We are doing this out of the love of our hearts. We enjoy chatting about films and uh, we want to talk about why the films of yesterday are still relevant today. Be warned, we will ramble. There will be occasional swearing, so be careful when listening to this around the little ones. There will be bad impressions and we will likely go on tangents from time to time. Chances are you're listening to this podcast because you've seen these films more than once. However, out of courtesy, there will be spoilers from the beginning. There will also be the jingling of ice in our cocktails or the slurping of red wine, as George and I have been known to grease the wheels of creativity. But for now, George, what are we recording on this time? It's the 90s. I've heard about... Well, it's... it's well, is it the 90s or is it still the 80s? Well, I think, uh, just to be safe, I've got Laserdisc and my Sony Walkman uh, on backup. Okay, that sounds good. Let's get our ramble on. Let's do it. Gremlins. They're clever. They're mischievous. They'll get into the kitchen, the basement, the garage. They'll get into anything. And once they get in, you're in for it. Gremlins. They'll be expecting you. Directed by Joe Dante. Rated PG. So, George. Gremlins. Gremlins and Gremlins 2, the new batch. Well, yeah, we had to do both. Last time we spoke with you, we covered uh, Ghostbusters, a perfect film for Halloween. And with Christmas almost upon us, and to help you get into the Christmas mood, um, we thought, what better film 
especially given our forte of 80s and 90s film, than to focus on Gremlins. And then we remembered that the sequel is arguably just as good. It's, yeah, I mean... Very different direction. It's a very different sequel. Having a lot of fun. And, yeah, it has a lot of fun. I think, yeah, the first one is a a classic 80s film. It's a classic Christmas film. And that's the main reason we're doing it. I think we both decided because the second one is so much fun and it's a different beast. We may as well do them both. It's Christmas. And it's Christmas. So it's the, the time of giving. So we want to give you more than your usual fare. So George, uh, we had a funny conversation about this earlier because we normally like to start with first memories before we go into the pre-production chat. We don't really know when we I, first watched this film. Yeah, I can't really remember. But we know it backwards. I mean, you know, we can always just link it back to watching it at our next door neighbor's house. The you ones, know they've started a podcast we, now. Yeah, I know. And they're probably getting better ratings than us. I remember being terrified of it. Certain moments, probably more of Gremlins 1 than Gremlins 2. I think that, that does have, it does have scarier moments. Mm-hmm. And and in the build-up, but I do see Gremlins as as a comedy more as a younger person. Whereas when I was younger, Ghostbusters, I was terrified for a little while. But and it's it took- about it's about that maturity of film because I think maybe one of the reasons we both enjoy Gremlins too so much is that we were so much more comfortable with the whole idea of it. You see, I look back at the first one. The first one didn't scare me, and it's it's strange because it's a similar time. I obviously watched it later because it's just as scary, it's just as eerie mm. and ghoulish as Ghostbusters, and in some way the physical stuff that's going on is more so. But I just get this feeling that I was more comfortable. Maybe I'd recovered from Ghostbusters, you know? I just, I, my memories of Gremlins are just like, Gizmo's cute, the Gremlins are evil, there's some nasty bits, but I could deal with it. You know, I think maybe for you it was slightly different. Yeah, but no, I say I think Ghostbusters scares had more of a lasting effect is what I'm trying to sort of say. Yeah. But with Gremlins, there's more mischievousness. Well, I think that's what taps into our, and anybody who knows us, George and I could be, even as grown men with children of our own, could be said to have quite a juvenile sense of humour. And Possibly. If, the, and I'm sure if you've been listening to this podcast for... You would agree. Yeah. So there's a certain anarchist, activist uh, feeling of just, just just gremlins going nuts, having fun. But, the, the, you know, whether it's sending an a old lady up a, a Stana chairlift at full volume or whatever it is, there's something just resonates with us. But I mentioned him briefly before, Joe Dante... He's the man who gave us this film. Obviously, Steven Spielberg was the person who produced this film. But what else was going on here, George? Why do we have Gremlins? Before we go into this chat, if anybody isn't aware that during the 80s and 90s, Gremlins was what you could argue is what some people who were a bit afraid of technology, when technology wasn't working for them, they would argue that there were gremlins in the system, that there was gremlins in the car, there was gremlins in the washing machine. And I think this was kind of the, um, the, the idea, that this, this was kind of what it was born out of, that, that, that Spielberg and co. turned them into actual little monsters. Yes, it was, yeah, it was the fact that yeah, something that was... Gremlins mo- in mon- the system. Gremlins in the system, monsters in the system. Yeah, so Joe Dante started his career with more traditional horror-based films. So 
One of his first films was a Jaws, or ironically a Jaws knockoff called Piranha, which we have touched on in the past because James Cameron... Obviously uh, he was on the sequel. Yeah, he was working on Piranha 2. Then, so yeah, Piranha was a knockoff of Jaws, which obviously was directed by Spielberg. Joe Dante then went on to do The Howling, which is a, another horror film about with werewolves, which I haven't seen. I think... I've heard noises about it. Yeah, so it's I, quite I, I think it came out around the same time as American Werewolf in London, but American Werewolf was the more successful one, so it kind of got. You're telling me that it was a deep impact Armageddon type thing? A Red Planet, Mission to Mars, White House Down, Olympus Has Fallen. We more, could go on. Exactly. But let's not round Check out my article on the blog. So he did original Gremlins in 1984, and obviously we're going to talk in that in detail, but between. The the two Gremlins films, he did a couple of cult 80s films. So he did Explorers um, in 1985, which is, it's on my Netflix list at the moment. I've been meaning to watch it for ages because I haven't seen it since I was really young. It's got about kids that make a spaceship in their backyard out of like used parts. It's got, I think it's one of Ethan Hawke's first roles. It's got River Phoenix in and it's a, you know, classic 80s kids adventure. I saw that in the cinema. And I, I think we, as we spoke about earlier, that may become an upcoming episode because it snuck under the radar. Well, it? it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's in line with that whole sort of coming of age, that Goonies, Stand By Me, kids doing their own thing that the 80s was so good at. So yeah, I, I'm definitely up for watching that again uh, sometime soon. Another one of my favourites, and I know it's a, a beloved classic of, of many as well, he did Inner Space in 1987, so with Dennis Quaid, uh, Martin Short and Meg Ryan, and Inner Space is, is a cracking film. It's a uh, surprise hit. Yeah, I, I, again, I, it could be a potential retro ramble film in the future, but it's it's just a lot of fun. It's got great effects and it's a great sci-fi tale. It's very, for the time, a modern spin on that 1950s, 60s sci-fi done in with a yeah, modern twist. So I like the underlying tone of that film is that he wanted to be an astronaut. He trained to be an astronaut, but he can't go into space. And it's like in that film, they don't go into space. They, they go, go somewhere else. In a thief. I, I've, I've just seen what you've done there. It's amazing. You should work in the film business. They, don't, they show that you don't need to go into space to have a sci-fi adventure. Yeah. That you can go minuscule. So yeah, I, I think it works. Great performances all around, even by Martin Short. Even by Martin Short. <laughs> so George, rounding us... Well, so, no, sorry, I was just... Oh, uh, uh, have you finished? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, can I finish? Can I finish? So in terms of... Joe Dante hasn't done a huge amount post Gremlins 2. So he did a, one of his most notable films following that is, again, it sort of riffs on Gremlins. It's called Small Soldiers, released in 1998. You and I went to see it at the cinema in Edinburgh, if I remember rightly, when, you, right. when we, you were a student. And we discovered Kirsten Dunst, and then we realized how old she was, and we had to go back and rethink some basic principles. Mm-hmm. But you described that film to me, it's like... Action, it's like Rambo meets Gremlins. Yes, I remember it, you yeah. saying that to me. Yeah, it's, it's basically Gremlins, but with action figures. I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. I haven't seen it for a while, but I remember it being a lot of fun, and I imagine it's a lot more family, kiddie-friendly than Gremlins is. So a, 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 a good one to get your kids in. There's, there's no blood or, or Good way or to get kids violence. into it. He did another kid's sort of horror 
film called The Hole in 2009. <laughs> kids horror. Oh yeah, I know, I remember this. There, there was two films called The Hole. There was one that was a proper ho- horror film, yeah. a British horror film called The Hole, but this one was more sort of teens in middle America that got good reviews. Again, again a nice balance of scares and comedy. You but, know that some parents made a mistake when they came to rent that out. Yeah. Mommy, mommy, what's going on? Make it stop. But more recently, he's been doing a lot of TV. There's the DC show Legends of Tomorrow. He's directed a few episodes of that. And he's also been directing a few episodes of the remake series of Hawaii Five-0, uh, which I haven't seen and I'm not going to. George, I think you're being too cynical. If there's one thing we need, it's more rehashed shows from the past. That we didn't even like in the first place. So because we're covering two films, because it's twice the fun, because it's Christmas, we're still going to try and keep this grounded. So I think, George, if we start with Gremlins 1, because it is the Christmassy type Mm. film, where's the best place to start? So we have... Produced by Steven Spielberg. He needs no introduction. He's hot shit at this this time so yeah. you know right in the sort of this is the same summer as temple of doom wasn't it temple of doom and also obviously we've touched on same summer as ghostbusters ghostbusters temple of doom yeah so yes spielberg's hot property he can get michael jackson to turn up on set like that like that and again yeah this nicely links in with previous episode the goonies because this is also, it's produced by Spielberg, but it's also written by Chris Columbus. And there's also Corey Feldman. And you've also got the link of Corey Feldman. So there's a lot of, uh, and this is, yeah, year before Goonies. Yeah. So you've got that trio of Joe Dante, director, Spielberg producer, Chris Columbus, writer. Apparently the original script was a lot more violent and a, a lot more horror based. But then it was given the Spielberg twists. Spielberg obviously has a knack for what audiences He gets the balance right, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He gets... Yeah, it's perfectly Watching these films together, we're just like, it's crazy how he gets suspense, thrill, horror, a little bit of horror. He knows... great comedy. The right amount of horror, the right amount of chills. I mean, well, this is the guy that did Jaws, so, you know, it's a horror movie where you don't actually see much, but you're terrified. Yeah. So he knows how to build suspense. Joe Dante's strength is he has a very, as you say, playful sense of humour, a, a bit like D- Tim Burton, quite a twisted black sense of humour, as does Chris Columbus, because Chris Columbus has gone on to make, you know, some of his biggest films are about that uh, psychopathic child, not the omen, Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a, a nice little trio of, of talent. But it kind of says who was, who was calling the shots back then. Yes. Like we talk about, um, you know, you, it's interesting that a lot of these, we talked about it in the Goonies episode, that a lot of these people are still working today with good reason, but they are still hot now and they were hot then. You know, Spielberg knows how to get the right, type of people together and what's interesting about these films is that and we only really found this out in our research is that this film was what created the discussion for the pg-13 rating yeah so this and temple of doom were really pushing the traditional pg rating to its limits so the uh, motion picture association of america the mpaa uh, decided to create the pg-13 rating 
because yeah, the violence in both Temple of Doom and Gremlins was just too much for a PG, but not enough for an R rating. That scene in Temple of Doom where they open the snake and they're eating stuff around the table. Well, there's that. There's all the bugs. Oh. There's and then like when he hand, doesn't he hand him his heart? I yeah. I mean, I I turned out all right, right? Kaliba. Right. <laughs> um. And obviously, we, we touched on in the Batman episode, it wouldn't it be until 1989 where the UK would get a similar rating with the, the 12 rating. So, yeah, I think in terms of the actual casting of Gremlins, apart from... Pretty much unknowns. Pretty right? much unknowns. I mean, you've got Phoebe Cates and the amazingly named Judge Reinhold. Yeah. Uh, him of Beverly Hills Cop fame. And also the dad. I recognised him. Uh, he was a bit of a B actor, you would say. But the dad who has all the gadgets, yeah. Gremlin ones, he'd been in a, he'd featured in a few films. I think he's yeah, from th- think an older guard of actors, should we say? Yeah, yeah. I think you, I think you're right there. And again, brilliantly named. I'm pretty sure he's called Dick Miller, who is uh, Mr. Fudderman. Um, yeah. Oh, who, amazing. Who pops up in a lot of films, uh, including Terminator as the unlucky gun shop owner. So yeah, you've got Zach Galligan as, as Billy Peltzer, the, the kid that receives the unusual Christmas present. Because that's it, it is. It's, the first one is a Christmas film. And the dad has got that bloody horrible task of trying to find something for his kid that nobody else has got that must have Christmas presents. Well, it's also, it's a sign of the times because I think mid-80s, it was a time of commercialism. commercialism. There was this this thing where a new toy would be out for Christmas and it was a must-have gift and by November they were all sold out and there was no data warehousing or stock control. So yeah, shops just sold out of stuff and it was every nightmare that parents faced. Obviously, it's not like today where shops are completely stocked with everything you need if only that were true but i think it's it's an interesting i don't know what the metaphor or the lines that are going but here you have a traveling salesman who's what? designing gadgets which are not very successful but the gadgets he's designing are kind of what a traveling salesman needs well, well i think have a swiss army knife with the shaving cream and the why hasn't anyone made that yet that is an amazing gadget it's got to be the like ba- an iphone the, case with a shaver and the a, bathroom buddy the bathroom buddy <laughs> nothing um, works no i think that is the the spielberg twist the fact that he's there is a message there. he's a working father he's they he hasn't are, got time to see his son. He hasn't got time. They haven't got money to but like to shower them with gifts. They're not a poor family, but they're not a rich family, and they're making ends meet. And there's a certain charm that he's the father's not a failure. He's just an inventor that hasn't invented the right thing yet. He wants cool stuff. And why give your kid a puppy? We can't make a film about a dad giving a son a puppy. I've got an idea. <laughs> How about quickly. the puppy being a monster that multiplies and turns into? a really scary thing. And we make it family friendly. The interesting twist on Gremlins, and again, I mean, it's, you get it on first viewing, but it wasn't until years later that I saw that it is a a spoof of sorts. The fact that it is a very twisted sort of horror inversion of the classic Christmas film. It's a Wonderful Life, yeah, because it features throughout there's snippets of it on the telly. I mean, we've, I don't know if we actually talked about this before, but the fact that the set, the same set for Gremlins is the same set that's used on Back to the Future. It's highly recognizable. And I would argue 
it's probably the set from It's a Wonderful Life, or it's made to look similar. Yeah, so it's, it's the universal backlot, and yeah, It's a Wonderful Life. For those, if anyone hasn't seen it... What are you doing with yourself? It's Christmas, go and watch it. It's one of the best Christmas films ever made. Classic Christmas film with James Stewart, uh, directed by Frank Capra. It's a, a story as, as old as time itself. It's a... What would life be like if I wasn't present, you know, if yeah, I what, wasn't around? And watch it with the relatives that mean something to you, but also watch it with relatives you dislike <laughs> and just really use it to alienate them. It's a great it's, film. No, it's, it's, it's a great film, but it, on balance, it is very schmaltzy. It's very Hollywood. It does leave you with a very... No, it's, it's, it's actually, well, people see it as a schmaltzy film, but it's actually quite a dark oh, film. It's, it's very dark. It's, it's, about, it's about suicide and things like that, but... It's it has, just missing a bunch of little green monsters running, you know. Well, that's it. The, 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 the whole premise of uh, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, I think it's Bedford Falls, is this perfect little small middle American town. Everyone knows each other. Sun Valley, Spring Valley, call it what Hill, you want it. Hill Valley. Hill Valley. There, you know. Smallville. And yeah, everyone knows each other. Everyone gets on, but there's one sort of figurehead that everyone hates. And that's what Gremlins does. It has the, the evil lady that's trying to be a bit of a property developer and is screwing everyone over that owns the bank that wants to sort of punish little Billy's dog. Barney wouldn't have hurt you, Mrs. Deagle, honestly. Excuses, excuses. You're just like your father. I've listened to his miserable excuses for ten years, the loser. She rightly, you know, gets her... Meets her... Spoiler. <laughs> meets her comeuppance by a uh, hijacked, tampered with Stana Stairlift. The wheel that turns. <laughs> the fact that it, that is a... I say, it took me... I think I must have seen Gremlins multiple times and then actually got around to seeing It's a Wonderful Life. I was like, oh, right. Well, that's that film that's always featuring can't, on the telly. Can't believe Wonderful Life is such a rip-off of Gremlins. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, um, there's some cracking... goes out saying cracking special effects in terms of the model work. Um, so You're probably it, sick of us talking about how much we love physical effects, but... It makes it, a difference. It does. It feels real. There's a depth. There's a... You see things there's happening. A, there's, yeah. there's, there's a... You know, we've talked about force. So there's a tactical weightiness to it. And, but the, the interesting thing, again, we've got a lot of links with all our other episodes. So when they were do, in pre-production, they were trying to work out how to bring the gremlins to life. And... Again, like Predator, they thought it was a great idea to test out dressing up a monkey, putting on a gremlin's head, and hey, let's see what happens. Turns out... After the, three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> turns out, well, after a few minutes, the monkey went nuts and shat everywhere. <laughs> I'm seeing and, a recurring feature. I get this idea of some failing like prosthetics <laughs> company that specializes in dressing monkeys up in suits. No, you had one shot with Predator and you got it No, I've, 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 I see it from another angle. I reckon there's this one guy, this like failed salesman that's trying to push the monkey on the studios. Oh, come on, guys. You know, look at him. He can do the dance. You can put him on the roller skates. Pogo you can dress him up as an alien. Pogo can wear a suit. He could be an alien. He could be sci-fi. He could be a robot. <laughs> Isn't that right, Pogo? <laughs> So anyway, 
Animatronics were decided as the Pu most sensible option moving puppetry, forward. Puppetry. Puppetry and animatronics. And apparently it was an absolute nightmare. The the work required the the animatronics, the, the puppets wouldn't work. It was a very painstaking Yeah, painstaking shoot and very stressful shoot for for all the people involved, the special effects team, for the actors, for Joe Dante. And I think that is another reason why there's quite a gap between the two films. He just wasn't ready to go. Much like the Team America, they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, we know we had a lot of fun making Team America, but we're never gonna work marionettes again. It's that whole physical aspect of trying to make a film with when you're having to puppeteer stuff. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of work involved. You can see that, but with those early scenes with, with Gizmo, where you've got... He's so cute. He's, he's very cute. And he's, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that come to play in terms of, yeah, the, the puppetry to, to make him feel cute. You've got the, the voice work. There's an actual actor that does all the sounds for him. And you've got, again, you know, we touch on, again, the great score. You've got a great score by Jerry Goldsmith. One of the he's a legend. He's, Check he, him out. He, yeah, he's one of the great uh, composers of many a blockbuster. Does he have one of those CDs like Ray Parker Jr.? You know all those other songs <laughs> that he's done that haven't been accepted anyway, or, or even been made. So the film itself, George. So we, you know, so you know, we're, 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 yeah, you've got the the dad brings the the gift home, the son bonds with it, and and it all goes to shit. What I like about this film is when we watch it, we've seen it so many times, is that like many other films, we just mentioned it before, the soundtrack, music kicks in and you kind of know what's coming. There's that scene where the mum is investigating the house and you have that. Is it, it, it is the music from, uh, from It's a Wonderful Life, Do You Hear What I, I, I Hear? Th I, I think so. I think or, it's, it or, it's, or it's at least it's ingrained in that sort of, yeah, 40s, 50s, Christmas nostalgia. But I love the fact that it almost goes a little bit ha uh, hammer horror type thing is that you obviously, dad's found the mogwai, given it to the son, son has done whatever with the, the scientist from school, and we now have multiple ones, but it's the mum who discovers the monsters. I love this, the way that she goes upstairs and she has the first face off, am I right? Is there... uh, yeah, I think it's, it's quite a nice balance between what's going on because you've got the mogwais at in at the home with the mum but then you've got the one that's in the science lab whilst they're watching that very disturbing science documentary about, so about the, dissect dissecting animals yeah, yeah. which is as, as as graphic and it's it's a really nice juxtaposition between the sort of the graphicness of the monster and it's really nice build of tension because yeah it's in the dark and the cocoons opening, as I say, I think it's a lot more sinister. Horror-esque, yeah. There yeah is, than it, than there's something it is. darker about that first film. And maybe because they've already done it in the first film, they don't, they don't spend as much time in the second one. But I remember that was one of the scenes, and that scene with the, the, the teacher that's been doing the tests on, on the Mogwai that's at the school, that's one of the, the creepy scenes where he's got the, oh, hey, little buddy, want, want a candy bar? I love that scene. I, I'll never and then forget it, that because it, it's, his arm gets pulled in, doesn't it? It is the fact that it's that mix of sound because he's like, oh, oh, you're a little bit hungry, are you? And it's the horror, it's, it's that sort of horror thing. It's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you an inch. Oh, you're taking a mile. Yeah. And it's, and it's a great bit of well, it's, suspense. It's, it's a bit like the Spielberg thing. It's, it's how much you can achieve 
without with actually, sound. With, with, without, with sound, without actually showing anything. And but, she's a great performance by that, by that teacher. And I, and I try to think, because uh, when we watched Gremlins 2 recently, we watched it together, and we were commenting on how the fact that we felt it escalated very quickly, whereas the first film is obviously as originals. It's weird to call them originals because they're just a film before mm. they're successful. But with the first film, it's much more linear. It's like it's very much a lot hitting the beats of It's a Wonderful Life. It's a small town. And Billy's just or, trying to do well. And there's, there's a lot of evil. Yeah, there's a lot of characters going on, you know. Yeah, and there's people being introduced, and they're not just cannon fodder. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but there aren't that many fatalities in Gremlins films. It's about being attacked. It's about it, being terrorized. I think it's, it's not. I think it's only really the 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 evil woman who old gets lady. fired out on the uh, on the uh, no. that hilarious scene on the chairlift. Yeah, I think the, she's the only real fatality. But I mean, we don't know. Maybe maybe she maybe she shoots nine on the back. <laughs> On the, on the back holes of the golf course. Yeah, yeah. You know, she'll be fine. In the original script, it was a lot more violent. I think the family dog was killed. The mum was killed. Scraps. <laughs> scraps. Scraps. Right, scraps will be shot. So, yeah, there was a lot more fatalities in the original script. And obviously, I think both the studio and Spielberg were like, guys, you know, if we want to make this more family friendly, we need to cut out the obvious deaths. And, and blood and gore but it's yeah there's still a lot of gruesome stuff it just happens to be the gremlin so I say that scene where the mum discovers him that whole kitchen scene where she the, puts one in she the, puts blender, one the blender in the microwave that I say you know genius. well again it's that play on as you say consumerism all those kitchen gadge well, it is. It's playing to your fears. Like right now, in in. Did she stab one to death with a kitchen knife? I don't want to talk about this, George. <laughs> this is the PG thirteen version of this podcast. But no, it escalates very quickly. You've got a good showdown. You've got, and then we're in the movie theater. Which film do they want to watch? It's uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They're all singing along. They're all having a great time. I don't know whether it's they just love a musical or if they actually like the whole slave backstory, you know, woman takes control of seven smaller beings. I don't know. Read into it what you will. I just love watching them sing hi-ho, hi-ho. It's yeah. brilliant. It's a brilliant bit of work. But once again, Spielberg showing his hand. He can do everything. He can do family, he can mm. do suspense, he can do terror, and he can do a brilliant mix of it. And then you've got that good showdown. You've got In the, the toy store, again, does that... Commercialism, yeah, Christmas presents. It's, it's, it was going to be a Christmas movie, wasn't it? Until well, it, it was got under pressure from. Uh, yeah, it's 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 odd. It's, well, I think I think it was the same with uh, with Die Hard that it was a summer release, but it's a Christmas set film. And in my mind, I will argue that they are both Christmas films. It's you know, Die Hard is an action film. It's a Christmas film. That's how they'll be remembered. Yeah, and it's not like Hollywood ever had any knee jerk reactions. Ever. <laughs> Not at all. You've got that climatic showdown, a little bit sort of zombie film influence of using everyday objects. So I think there's gizmos the, in a little toy car. There's and using, chainsaws. There's, there's golf stri- equipment. There's stri- tennis rackets. Stripes. Yeah, got a chainsaw. There's a crossbow, baseball bat. I loved it. So yeah, there's a little bit of a you know kind of like the schoolyard bully type of thing. Stripes the bully, and you're stuck in a toy store. How do you defend yourself? Yeah, it's a little bit of a, is it Day of the Dead where they're all in the shopping mall? Yeah, it's it's all use use everyday objects, and there's a lot of fun there. A Christmas film 
for all of the family as long as you're above a certain age. But it, 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 it is a great film. But then there was a bit of a hiatus between... I mean, between that and Gremlins 2, the new batch. And I think he had his reasons for doing it, didn't he? Um, yeah, so, Mr. Joe Dante, that is. Yeah, so as I say, I think just due to the work involved, the, the puppetry involved, and I think it was the, the case of that they just didn't want to do a sequel that was a case of diminishing returns. They didn't want to do a, a cash-in sequel of, you know, let's do the same again, but same town, different people, or... Things like that. it had to be a unique twist on the sequel. And I think as far as sequels go, obviously recently we've talked, we, we touch on a number of sequels in this podcast because they come up. They're still coming up, if you haven't noticed recently, but Hollywood is taking a very close look at films of the 80s and 90s right now. But we, when we watched this, we watched this together, Gremlins 2. And not only did we have fun watching it, but the characters appear to be having fun. And you just get the feeling by the end of the film that the, the whole film, it breaks the fourth wall on numerous occasions. Everyone is having fun. There's even jokes about making a sequel. There's even a review of the first Gremlins film within Gremlins 2. Yeah, it's so self-aware. And I mean, if we're going to go there, we're going to have to talk about all of these amazing things that are built into the sequel. It's a funny type of sequel it's a celebration well it's it's a very smart film it's i mean the as i say we've we've touched on the fact that the original is a you know a, self-contained a, but it's also a horror pastiche twist of it's a wonderful life um but this is it's a you know that that 80s yuppie corporate you know sort of commercial you know city set you know a bit like well the i can't imagine a character like this the guy let's not give his name but like he is the he's a major property developer he is a self-made self self-made man self-professed amazing negotiator believes that anyone finger in many pies finger in many pies and his name is daniel clamp not to be confused with any other name that could sound like that related to he's, property. He's bigly great. Yes, he's bigly great, and he's had a chat with everyone, and everything's going to be amazing. But it's the first fully automated building. There's so many great It's jokes. a smart building. A smart building. Nothing can go wrong. The, um, what is it? When, when the fire breaks out, it's like, just to let you know, fire, bringer of warmth. Energy destroyer, of industry, destroyer of forests, is upon us. It's um, well. There's the you know as they walk into the building. Make sure you have a powerful day. Yeah, and it's there's as I say, everything faxes are the rage. Video, high the news, high tech name tags. They scan the name tags. That, those name tags are ridiculous. The guy has officially a pen laser on and, the end of a, a wire huge tablet and billy's wearing what can only be described as a physical barcode and he rubs the laser across it ah billy peltzer i love i mean the technology that would need to be i'm not even going to go there i mean we're talking mm. about where's the database where's the access in the data well, the, well it's got a it's a bit like a a like a modern spin on something like the towering inferno you've got this 
perfectly built skyscraper. Nothing can go wrong. It's got, nothing can go wrong. It's got a, a it's the Titanic. A control center. It's, it's got, got a pest control system that can tell you where all the gremlins are. Cl and cl can, climate control. It can, you know, it's got that brilliant scene where it zooms in on the guy having a sneaky fag break. And then he gets fired, the guy <laughs> from the Blues Brothers. Yeah, he gets he gets fired, uh, you know, sort of, there's there's loads of stuff going on there, but there's, I think that there, there's still that, that similar theme of old technologies being replaced by the new, sort of, you know, Billy Peltzer is that traditional small town guy that has that sort of, he's trying to bring his own sort of slice of, nostalgia and heartfelt stuff to this corporate world and everyone in new york's so mean and you don't think he's just trying to get phoebe cates into bed because she basically says that she's maybe not one gonna... day they could get married but he needs to get that promotion and then doesn't even mo doesn't even gizmo say to him maybe i could come home with you <laughs> if you've got a real job <laughs> billy's painted as a bit of a loser at the beginning and let's be honest he's he's a bit of a bland character he's a bit of a cipher but to be fair yeah we're we're watching these films for the gremlins for gizmo and there's a lot more he's so cute <laughs> he's he's so cute and on this one you've obviously got the the brilliant um, sort of, again, you've got the more direct parodies. You say, you know, this film touches, references itself. It references loads of other films, but you've got the whole to survive war, you've got to become war. Yeah, they got, yeah. and Rambo must, it can't be that far behind it. Rambo would have been Rambo a few. Rambo 2 was 1985, I think. Um, so, so yeah. So Rambo has only been out a year or two when they start parodying it. So this is like what I've mentioned before in other podcasts that, before the internet, before Instagram, films, par memes, memes, whatever you want to call them. Memes. Memes. Um, films were parodying each other. You know, this is, this is how mm. it was done, is that Rambo was out, took itself very seriously, was a very big success. And then Gremlins comes along and does a little parody of it. And it does it, does it beautifully. But I don't know if it, now is the right time to talk about MVPs. We didn't really... Well, no, that's, that's what it's saying about you. Um, Zach Galligan, you know, he... The guy plays Billy Peltzer. Not he, MVP. He's not MVP. He's very earnest. He does his role very well, but he's not particularly funny. He, he, but he delivers his, his lines, fair enough. But the, the genius thing, and especially more so in the sequel, is the supporting character. So you've got Donald, I mean, sorry, D Daniel Clamp, um, who is uh, the brilliant uh, John Glover captured the whole essence of the project right here. Look at the kids with the kites. That's warmth. I like warmth. Who's, again, like, he's one of those actors that's been in loads of stuff, he's, but he's you can't... has been in Smallville, but I can't remember him in anything else apart from this and Smallville. You're probably going to no, correct no, me. I'm going to say one film, and you're going to go, ah, Scrooged. Who is he in Scrooge? He's the guy that's trying to take Bill Murray's job. Oh, yeah, he's job. trying to take his job, and he's trying to suck up to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when when Bill Murray's it's all it's all going nuts and he's hallucinating and everything. Yeah, he's got amazing teeth, great jaw, great jaw. But no. just eating up the scenery, he's having a great time. I th That's what I, I, mean. I, I think he is. He's the MVP he, he, of Gremlins too. But, but I think but, over the two films, he does not. But Dick Miller's not enough. Murray Murray Futterman. I think he's com he's too much comedy relief. Yeah. Whereas Glover, sorry, um, what's he called in this? Mr. Daniel Clamp, not Donald Trump. Yeah, Clamp. Dan Daniel Clamp is, he just oozes 
personality, just just everything about him is so yuppie 90s. But he means well. There's a certain naivety. Well, that's it. There, there is a complete naivety that this man's put all this stuff in place. And he's like, oh, well, we better do something about that. And oh, I like you. You've got all this energy. And it's... Typical CEO behavior. I like you. You've got a great idea. You're going to go far. Promote yeah. that man. Yeah, he's, he's, he's all over the place. But we, we well, I think we, we both kind of forgot about Christopher Lee's in this film. Christopher Lee's <laughs> Yeah, George, should we watch Gremlins 2? Yeah, let's watch it. Ten minutes in. Christopher Lee's in this film. Oh, my God. And, and he's called Dr. Catheter. Do- Dr. Catheter. And... He's in on the fun. He's having How, fun. He's having a great time. He's hamming up the hammer. He's, he's, but it was funny, though, said, let's celebrate your time in Hammer Horror, but let's also foreshadow your role as a dark Jedi Knight. There's a point where he gets electrocuted, and it's yeah. very Count Dooku-esque, but uh, he's great. You can put him anywhere, uh, he's, apart he's, from maybe a kid's birthday party. He, yeah, and no, it's the, the, the brilliant line, I, I've, I got rabies. I didn't want rabies. Where's my flu? Yeah, it's so hard to get your hands on a decent influenza these days. But you've also got a random cameo, like in a blink and you miss it role from, well, the guy that causes Gizmo to, to multiply again is by the guy who was uh, Gomez from the Adams family as, as, yeah, the angry janitor. We're getting on to cameos and I almost feel like we should call this the Dean Norris cameo feature because <laughs> lo and behold... Out of his, I read this the other day, 35 appearances as some form of law enforcement, Dean Norris of Breaking Bad fame features in this, in a very tiny, mind you, it's the type of role he always seemed to get during the 80s and 90s, as the guy who shoots the gremlin with a shotgun in the closing scenes. Point blank. (laughs) He moved, sir. But it's a very young Dean Norris. But, well, you and I, it wasn't until we saw the credits, we were like, Dean Norris? (laughs) Dean Norris. Again. You've also got, I I can't remember the guy's name, but another Joe Dante film I haven't touched on. He did The Burbs, which again is another... Oh, the cop who arrests Billy for turning off the water. Yeah. So that's the guy that's uh, Tom Hanks' best mate and neighbour in The Burbs again. He's been in plenty of other stuff And he's also the dad in the first scary movie. The sick bastard planted drugs all over the house. (laughs) And yeah, there's that random drunken chef, the woman that's just pouring. Oh, she's brilliant. What's it? It's microwaving with Marge. Microwaving with Marge with a tuna noodle cheese. It sounds like it's a chowder surprise. It's a tuna. Cheese noodle chowder surprise. (laughs) Sounds like the most disgusting dish. Some people put in a splash of sherry. I put in a lot. Yeah. Again. It's Unnecessary. Not, it's not vital to the plot, but it's just a lot of fun. And it is, the film itself is a bit like channel hopping, isn't it? It's sort of like, where are we? What's going on? It's jumping between the floors, between the studios, and it paves a way for, let's just break a lot of the rules from the first one. Well, I think that's something, obviously, that they are, we talked about, earlier is the fact that they are celebrating it's like so we're making this film i'm not making another one i could just imagine joe dante saying i'm not making another one let's just get everything in there and obviously we've put it on our blog there is the um we're big fans of key and peel they do a brilliant sketch on the ludicrousness well not just the ludicrous but it's it's a it's a it's a parody of a of a writer's meeting about... A brainstorm. Brainstorming on Gremlins 2 about how, how all the characters would come up with. And just the line, it's in the movie. 
when you start watching this film, the last half an hour, you're laughing along, but the film's having a laugh at itself. Everything's been thrown in. You want a girl gremlin? We've got a go. We've got electricity gremlin. We've got a spider gremlin. Bat gremlin. We've got a bat gremlin. We've got we've got everything thrown in, but it's done well. It's good pace, and it actually happens quicker than you expect. But it also there's a, a very good scene when it all starts kicking off and Billy's in the control room saying, oh no, you know, you got to believe me, you got to believe me. And all the security crew turn around and like, oh, okay, so what if they eat something before midnight, but it gets stuck in their teeth? What if they're on a cross-Atlantic flight? Apparently these are all sort of queries or questions that was fired at Joe Dante after the first Gremlins. And he was like, right, I'm just going to- Screw you guys. Yeah, I'm going to chuck this in the film as a sort of, you know, up yours. And I think his response, the way that the they're all joking about it in the control room, and that gremlin just as they bursts deli- through, bursts through and just bites one of them. That's Joe Dante's <laughs> yeah, r- <so> response. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys! But yeah, that whole spin with the scientist lab, with our friends from Tur- the twins from Terminator Two, or the, the control room. There's a scientific lab, and there's a there's a, the type of control room that Jason Bourne runs from. <laughs> You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Screens everywhere. Screen, lots of flashing. People who can pull up like a monitor. Buttons. People who can center in on a, on a cityscape in a second. But that's the genius part that by having this building that has everything, you can go all over the place. And, the and it's got its own TV shows, its own yeah. news channels. They're making products. I'm not sure what they don't do. They just yeah, do everything. They, they do everything. There's, it's like commercialism. There's a bar. There's a yogurt bar. There's a definitely a yogurt bar. There's healthy food. It's so, every fad possible. It's every so dream. It's so 90s. Speaking of 90s, Daniel Clamp at one point, well, he, he rocks a double-breasted suit. We were commenting, we were saying, that's an impressive double. You can't rock a double-breasted suit like you could back in the I 90s. Really baggy double-breasted suit And if you're going to rock a double-breasted suit, George, why stop there? Why stop there? I mean, you know, when when you have a shower and you want to have that double-breasted look, why not just throw on a double-breasted dressing gown? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Go back and watch it. The man has... A double-breasted dressing gown. And I'm not going to lie to you, we've ordered two of them. (laughs) (laughs) Just in time for Christmas. We're wearing them right now. Just when you think this film can't get any stupider or crazier, it turns into an MGM musical. Yeah, we've got New York, New York. We've got some very good comedy works and very good timing. You've got that whole choreographed thing with the female gremlin coming through the tiles. Yeah, that's weird. It's like a a number. It's like, Joe Donner's like, okay, if you're going to go out, go out with a smile. So I'll never work again, but at least I gave it my all. I don't know about you, but I got that feeling watching this. He's like, okay, I'm going to do the second film. Okay, I'm going to do it. But like, if I'm going to do it... Doing it my way. We're doing it my way, and we're going to have this. And they're like... And I think all of these sort of... It is a bit of that Key and Peele thing. It's like, you want what sort of gremlin? I want this. And I think he kind of made a list. And he was like, if I'm going to do it, let's just get it all in this film, and it's done. And then it'll be left. I mean, it's not like anyone's going to remake Gremlins anytime soon. Yeah. Well, the Gremlins is a regular fixture at the Prince Charles Cinema in London. I I think it was the last times I saw it was actually there. They one of their key Christmas fixtures. And I think the last 
time they showed it, they had Zach Galligan uh, turned up to introduce it. And he said, yep, they are actively working on it. So at that time, I mean, it's a bit like the Ghostbusters thing. It has, there's been a sequel rumored for ages. At one point they were talking about rebooting it. The Gremlins were all going to be CG. But it seems like if uh, if Zach Galligan is aware of it, that there is gonna he's going to be involved somehow. So it is going to be a sequel rather than a, a reboot. Zach gotta eat. <laughs> so we wait with bated breath well, to see what will come of these discussions. I just hope that the Footermans are in it. The, uh, I want, I want, and maybe there's a role for Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson's back. He's back as the fourth Ghostbuster, and you, shared universe from 1984. <laughs> and if they try and call Dean Norris, I'm sorry, but Dean's too busy. He, he doesn't need a... Dean Norris has got his David Schwimmer money. He ain't going anywhere near <laughs> he ain't going. Beer. What, you want me to play law enforcement? Well, and not unless I'm like, you know, number two in the cast list. So, But sp- speaking of Ghostbusters, there is some good heavy smoking in these films as well. Uh, there's even there's a indoor wa- smoke, the serious indoor smoking. But even in 1990, even in I think it's the second one where yeah, with is it is it Marla the 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 redheaded the biggest stereotype walking around. Yeah, Hello, the, I'm ambitious. I'm Jewish, and I've got red hair. Jewish, and I smoke. I, I've got shoulder pads. I smoke, <laughs> and I think at one point Billy just goes, Marla, you just sit sit there. He, just, and he looks smoke. at her and he goes, Marla, smoke. smoke. <laughs> and to everybody else, if you feel like you want to have a smoke, why don't you just go ahead? This message is sponsored by the good people of Philip Morris. Delicious now, cigarettes. It's You do have that. Um, it's so weird to see indoor smoking now. But it's it's weird, though, at the end of, of Gremlins 2 that the... Daniel Clamp is talking about the merchandising opportunities for Gremlins because it's sort of like... They were clearly doing merchandise, and there was well, those gremlins. You no, know I, you know I see. I like Gizmo. He looks cute. You know where I see him? I see him with those little suction pads on the inside of a car windscreen. You're like, yeah, they, but you they, kind of did that. They did. They did do that. Gremlins is a deliciously sweet, crunchy cereal that satisfies the hungry little gremlin. That's in all of us. Which I suppose brings us nicely and neatly to our recurring monthly feature: coulda, woulda, shoulda. So for this month's Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, there were two actors up for the role of Billy Peltzer, both 80s favourites. The first was Judd Nelson, him of classic Breakfast Club. And the second one was son of Martin Sheen, Emilio Estevez. Oh, right. So I'm just trying to imagine what that film would have been like with either of those. Remind me about Judd Nelson. He's... He's the, the outcast guy from Breakfast Club. Club. Yeah. Holds his fist up at the end. Yeah, so, I remember. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Well, obviously, they went on to have bigger careers than <laughs> Zach Galligan, who just had Gremlins. But uh, George, yeah, you Zach know. is back on board for the next Gremlins film. Zach is back. I can see the bumper stickers already. Yeah, he's, he, he is free to work. I Actually, to be honest, I could actually see Emilio Estevez in this role. To be fair, I, I could see either. You know, they have that sort of... Comic know. timing from Loaded Weapon, one of our favourites. True, true. Um, maybe uh, Jen Nelson is you know, too much of that sort of anti-hero type. It is what it is, and we've got Zach, and that's that. That's coulda, woulda, shoulda. We, did we mention the fourth wall breaking by Hulk Hogan? 
I don't think we mentioned the Hulkster. I think we were kind of hoping that he would interrupt this podcast. Yeah, I think the whole, he's a bit late. I mean, I'm or always... maybe he's not. Maybe because we're in Europe, it's somebody else who's going to drop in on the maybe podcast. We'll, yeah, and break maybe, maybe we're going to get Wolf from Gladiators. Because there was this thing where obviously it was Hulk Hogan, and then there was another actor. Anyway, watch the film watch the wherever film. you are. You might have a different version. Yeah. But yeah, maybe I just want a, a sweaty man to interrupt our podcast and tear his shirt off. I mean, is that too much to ask for? It's, I don't think it's... It's what everybody wants. Sorry, what, what I was going to say was... You said, you know, a lot of people that we've talked about are still working today. And I think it's, it's kind of a shame that Joe Dante hasn't really done a lot more. I think that he has a very... Very, a sense of humour that definitely agrees with us. A very playful sense of humour, but he's a very good visualist as well. There is that sort of archaic Looney Tunes playful humour. And he actually did one of his films he did was an attempt to bring back Looney Tunes into the the cultural lexicon. So he was, I think, he tried to relaunch Looney Tunes, uh, the film Looney Tunes back in action uh, in the early noughties, I think 2003. And I think that was a massive flop. Think about, in terms of Warner Brothers and Disney, the Mickey Mouse brand is still as strong as ever, but you don't see as much of Bugs Bunny, Does Daffy, da- Daffy Duck Which these days. Which did you prefer growing up? I preferred Roadrunner. I preferred oh, I loved all the old Acme. Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. They were much better. I'm going to be impartial. Tom and Jerry, Hannah Barbera. I don't remember ever watching a cartoon with Mickey Well, no, but that's because with the Warner Brothers, the Roadrunner, with... We're uh, children of the 80s. No, we, no. Don't, we don't remember Mickey Mouse. No, but they, there was that lot more that, what we talked about, that archaic, that cartoon violence mm-hmm. of, you know, <laughs> all this... Smashy, this, smashy, so I'm okay. Yeah, the smashy, smashy, but everything's all right. And that's, again, you can see that through line from Gremlins to, from Christopher Columbus, moving on from writer on Gremlins to Home Alone, child sociopath Kevin McAllister brutally torturing those poor burglars that just are trying to make a a dishonest living. Yeah, I mean, who's he to stop a burglar from getting it? I mean, burglars are trying to make money to buy Christmas presents. It's it's all about commercialism and kids. Just remember, folks. Buy, buy Christmas presents. Just buy Christmas presents and... Buy stuff. And as we say in all of our 80s films, just smoke. <laughs> give, give the present that no one's expecting. What about 200 Marlboro Lights? Yeah, just smoke and drink Coke. Look, it even rhymes. <laughs> yeah. Just enjoy yourself. Don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> so, George, anything else to add on this film? Films. Um... Films, there's two... Yeah, I think just as a sort of byline, I imagine a lot of people are, are screaming at their radios because that's how people are listening to us. In my mind, they're listening to us on FM the, and AM. The, there's, but there's not a, long wave. We the, don't. We're not that okay. They're, they're all sat around their living room listening to us on the radio. A lot of people shouting at us right now, saying, "It's Christmas. Why haven't you done Die Hard?" There well, is that, a reason. There was our plan to cover Die Hard. There was our plan to cover Die Hard, but wait, my friends, be patient, because next year will be the 30th anniversary of Die Hard. So Bruce Willis phoned us from his trailer while he was cooking some ribs. Whilst he, he said, was making one of 17 straight-to-DVD films. And he said, look, I've had a chat with my chef. And we both agreed that we like your show. And if you're going to cover Die Hard, just do it when, with the anniversary tie-in. Do it for the anniversary. Everyone's, every, people will wait. 
People will wait. There's a lot of great Christmas films out there. They're all going to be on rotation, no doubt. But yeah, for us, Gremlins is a classic Christmas film. Gremlins 2 is, again, a a great example of a sequel that goes in a different direction, like Aliens, like Terminator 2, but may sound like that we are more partial to Gremlins 2, but I think it's just because we've watched it a bit more recently. They're both great films. There's a lot to like. There's a great balance between the comedy and the, the horror. Yeah, um, well, I mean, Gremlins introduces you to the characters, the concept, the monsters, and you, you're all involved with it, and you get drunk on it, and then when Gremlins 2, you get completely shit-faced, and you go nuts, and you just in, you investigate every possible avenue. Sexy gremlins, intelligent gremlins, crazy, just stupid, googly-eyed gremlins for no reason. Anyway, we've Uh, been talking a lot about gremlins. Let's take a break from gremlins and talk about something completely different. Charlie, what have you been playing recently? I do like to dabble in uh, in my console games. In a total retro fashion, a game has come out recently which is a game that dates back to when George and I still lived under the same roof. I'm talking about Gran Turismo. George and I were, we got Gran Turismo. We were brothers. We were brothers. <laughs> we shared a bedroom. We shared it. We even shared a PlayStation. And we got the new analog controllers and we got Gran Turismo. And it was a huge event. We are now at Gran Turismo 6, Gran Turismo Sport. We are in PlayStation 4 territory. But all I can say is the game is beautiful, looks amazing. They've done something revolutionary that probably half the people who've got the game aren't even using, which is they're using uh, motion control sense in the, the DualShock controllers. So you don't have to buy one of those ridiculous race, steering wheel pedal hey, setups. You want to buy one of those? I just want to steering... build a roll cage in my living room. You want to be that guy who's got... <laughs> Rather a... than drive a car. But no, what they've done is they've made it a bit more accessible and they've utilized the motion controllers. So now you basically, you tilt... When you're holding the PlayStation controller, you tilt it like a steering wheel. And it sounds a bit weird, but it's a lot of fun. What more is there to say? It's Christmas, so there's loads of games out. Uh, the Star Wars Battlefront 2. Are you excited about that? I've played it. I've played the beta version because, obviously, we take our geekness very seriously. So I signed up for the beta version of that, or beta version for you uh, Americans across the pond. It looks great, and they've thrown more at it than they did in the first game. <laughs> We've also got there's some DLC coming to Horizon Zero Dawn, which was a very good post-apocalyptic... Uh, is that first... the one with the robot dinosaurs? That is the very same. Okay. There, speaking of geeks, there has been a, a bunch of geeks that have recreated a N64 Bond game, but based on Goldfinger, Goldfinger 64, and it's been... It's a fan-made well, game. The thing is, all the animations out there, it, it is... Well, I suppose it's, it's yeah, it's going to be easier to recreate a... You could render everything. Yeah. You could actually use the old... Uh, Nintendo are quite open source in terms of when, once they've released something. Mm. So you could reverse engineer and render and just use the GoldenEye engine mm. and make a new game. I've seen countless other people online on Facebook. You can buy a... I'm assuming it's a bit like a Raspberry Pi box, but that's full. It's already preloaded with loads of SNES, Mega Drive, N64 games. Imagine what that's going to be in like 10 years. The Raspberry Pi now is like the size of a smartphone, and it's basically a computer which you can connect to the internet. In Mm. a few years, you're going to be able to get one, I don't know, the size of a... 
What's a matchbook? Oh, anyway. A bobby pin? I, I digress. But yeah, it's it's Christmas. Get um, in the mood. Watch Christmas movies. That's my Chris, Christmas movies. So yeah, in terms of Christmas movies that we would recommend, obviously one of our family favourites, Trading Places. And we can't, we've, we've touched on it uh, already. Scrooged. I was going to say Scrooged, but uh, I oh, oh, thought of something else. Elf. Okay, that's good. I like where you're going. Santa Claus the movie. Drink Coke. John Lithgow. <laughs> John Lithgow. I think that's a great time to wrap things up. So, so we thank you for your dedication over the last year and we will see you in the year 2049 when we, when we come back after the blackout. Thank you for listening. I've been George McGee. I've been Charlie McGee and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Gremlins in this theater now? Okay, you guys, listen up. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Do I have to come up there myself? Do you think the Grimsters can stand up to the Hulkster? Well, if I were you, I'd run the rest of Gremlins too, right now. Sorry, folks, it won't happen again.